Father God, thank you so much for uh, this day. Thank you for this chance to get together, to sit under your word, and to learn from you, and to learn to love Jesus better, and to learn to love one another better. I do pray for Annabelle as she comes to speak to us now. I pray that you would bless her, that you would speak through her, that you would speak to our hearts, and that we would understand more of what it means to be content in our Lord Jesus. So, Father, would you do a deep work in our hearts today? Would you change us? And would you, would you make us more content, I pray, Father, with all that you have given us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Annabelle. Hello, everybody. It's so lovely to see you all here. There's even more of us than we were expecting, which is really lovely. So, um, and a welcome from me. Um, do grab the handout that's on the tables in front of you, this one. Um, the basic structure of what I'm going to be saying is in here. And also, if there are any, uh, if I refer to a Bible passage, the reference is in here for you. And there's also a couple of quotes as we go along from other places. And um, finally, at the end, there's a little reading list if you want to do some more reading. And there's some songs to listen to if that's your thing. So it's for you to take away as well as to use today. Hi, Jenny. Um, it's been a great joy for me to work on this talk this morning. And I hope it will be an encouragement to you as well. Um, and I just wondered, yes, we had those questions up. Would anybody like to share what their perfect afternoon might look like what 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 sorts of things came up did you get around to talking about your dream afternoon is anyone brave enough to share it go on Jackie bingo first yes a lovely afternoon playing bingo that will be fun anybody else Jenny dream afternoon being with your sisters in Christ I think that's lovely thank you Jenny Yvonne A whole garment, to make a whole garment with, that, with no interruption, that would be extraordinary. I mean, <laughs> but, but very therapeutic, I can imagine. Anybody else? Oh, Abby. Yes, some of us get that. <laughs> yes, anyone else? Well, there's probably all sorts of things that would um, make up your dream afternoon. Um, I wonder if anybody said an afternoon on the beach, or maybe just peace and quiet reading a book, or maybe some time with a loved one. Lots of different things. But actually, we kind of all know, don't we, that that sort of contentment is transient. It's temporary. It never lasts. You try to hold on to it, but it slips through your fingers. That blissful afternoon is going to come to an end. The happy day that you planned with the family ends in a quarrel. That holiday that you were so looking forward to didn't quite come up to scratch. The weather wasn't what you hoped. The toy that your child longed for gets broken on Christmas morning. We're probably actually more familiar with discontent than we are with contentment, if we're honest with ourselves. And I think maybe once we start thinking about it, there's at least one thing, and maybe a lot of things, that we wish were different. Things that seem to be stealing our contentment. 
the if-onlys. If only this thing was different, then I could be happy. If only we had a bit more money. If only that tricky situation at work got sorted out. If only I could feel well again. If only he understood me. If only I could get up earlier in the morning. If only I had one good friend. If only. I wonder if if onlys are coming to your mind as I start to talk about these different things. There's probably thousands of them in this room. Maybe you can name it straight away. Maybe it's shouting at you all day long. Maybe it's sitting on your chest when you wake up in the morning and crushing you when you finally go to sleep at night. Maybe it's right in your face the whole time. Or maybe you need to take some time to think about it, to actually work out. Well, it's quite subtle, but it's there. I can guarantee that there are if-onlys in your life. And what I want to do today is to start looking at those if-onlys and tuning in to what they're telling us, because they're actually telling us something really important. I want to ask this question. What if God is using that very thing or those very things that you wish and long were different in your life? What if God is using that to actually make you more content in him, not less? What if God is using the thing that you wish was different in your life to bring you closer to him, to make you more content, not less. I hope that over this session and also the next one that we're having in March, we'll be able to identify those if-only things to see where we're struggling to experience the contentment that we long for. I hope that we'll begin to look beneath the surface to see what those struggles are showing us about what's going on in our hearts and particularly how we're relating to God in those struggles. And most of all, I hope that we'll begin to get a sense of how God, in all his sovereignty and goodness to us, might actually use those struggles to show us what true contentment is. So that's my sort of route map for both of the sessions that we're having together. What's your if only? What's it showing you about your heart? And what, what's God up to in all of that? In a moment, we're going to look at a couple of psalms, which will give us two different angles on what contentment might be. But first, I just want to flag up two things that contentment is not. So they're in your handout. First of all, contentment is not a trouble-free life. That's what we might be longing for, but that's not going to be true contentment. Our circumstances are going to vary enormously in this room from person to person, but I can guarantee that every single person here has experienced or is experiencing or will experience real suffering, whether it's illness or bereavement or loneliness or depression or abuse or disappointment in other people or disappointment in ourselves, none of us is going to live a happy, carefree, totally trouble-free life. There might be periods of happiness God's kindness there are, but there will also be periods of suffering. And the Bible, it never leads us to expect otherwise, does it? Actually, the Bible is bursting with people who are suffering, either because of their own sin, or because of the sin of other people, or because of the brokenness of the world that we live in. New Testament writers like Paul and Peter tell their readers to expect suffering in this life. We've seen it a little bit, haven't we, in 1 Thessalonians the last few weeks. Um, I've put some references on the handout if you want to look them up later. And 
Peter says something which we should take heed of in uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. He says, dear friends, that's us, do not be surprised at the painful suffering, the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. None of us would choose suffering, but we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. Whatever our idea of contentment is, it needs to be big enough, strong enough to cope with the bad times as well as the good times. So contentment is not a trouble-free life. And secondly, contentment is not wearing a happy mask to cover up the truth. It's not saying, I'm fine, when somebody actually really asks you how you are. God doesn't tell us to wear a fixed grin when we're struggling. Let's briefly turn to Psalm 13, which is on page 548. Oh, I've just noticed we don't have Bibles in front of us. Hopefully most people have got one in the chair. Um, if you can't see one, share with somebody. So this is page 548, Psalm 13. So Psalm 13, I'll start at the beginning. It's just a short one. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. I'm just going to stop there for a minute. Those really honest, direct words were written by David, God's chosen king. God described him as a man after my own heart. And that's how he speaks to God. The Psalms are full of cries of anguish like this, actually. And they're there. One of the reasons they're there is to say to us, you can speak to God like that too. God invites us to speak to him like that. David's describing emotions which are actually perhaps more familiar to us than we feel able to admit. Maybe sometimes we feel forgotten by God, plagued by dark thoughts, wondering whether we can really go on with life. David is expressing human emotion and he doesn't feel the need to cover it up. His words come straight out of his heart and aren't tidied up because he's speaking to the Lord. That's true for us too. We can speak to God like that. He's listening. But then there's a surprise. Let's read on the next two verses to see what this desperate, depressed man says next. Um, it's verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. That little word, but, at the start of verse 5, is actually probably better translated, and. So I'm experiencing these terrible things, terrible spiritual, emotional anguish, and I trust in God's unfailing love. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? It makes those last verses even more striking when you hold them alongside the first part of the psalm. David's telling us that it's possible to hold intention to realities, 
the reality of my life with all its messiness and pain and brokenness and if onlys, that's in one hand, and the reality of God's unfailing love and goodness towards me. We can hold those two things together. They actually exist alongside each other. This might not appear at first glance a psalm about contentment. It might seem anything but. But I would like to suggest actually this is contentment. Not the absence of difficult circumstances, waiting for all our if-onlys to finally go away. Not the absence of difficult emotion, wearing a happy mask, saying I'm fine, and pretending all is well when actually it isn't. But the presence of God's unfailing love and goodness to me in the midst of those circumstances and emotions. Maybe that's a a better, stronger, bigger picture of contentment. So what's David's secret? How can I learn to have this kind of contentment? How can we find it? Well, let's turn to the second psalm that we're going to look at. Um, Psalm 131. So flip forward to page 625. So this is another psalm written by David, Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Um, On your handout, there's a a question. I thought it might be um, a relief just to stop listening to me and have a chat amongst yourselves for a minute, give my voice a rest as well. Let's just focus in on verse 2 and have a look at the language that David uses Um, What words and pictures does he use in verse 2? And how does that give us a picture of what contentment might be? So just turn to the person sitting next to you or in groups of twos or threes and see if you can pull out those words and pictures and tease out what they're going on about. Um, We'll just do two minutes of that.
Is that long enough just to have a little look? So we're going to look at those words in a minute. Um, so I've said that we're going to use our if-onlys to help us look beneath the surface, maybe to sort of lift up the engine of our hearts and see what's underneath, in, lift up the lid and see what's going on inside when we feel a lack of contentment. And actually, that's what David's doing in Psalm 131. He's asked that question of himself. What's going on in my heart? And did you notice that the words he uses in verse 2, stilled and quietened, they're verbs, they're doing words, they're things that he has chosen to do. He's, he's done them. He hasn't just absorbed stillness and quietness from the ether. He's chosen to still and quieten a soul that otherwise would be restless and noisy. So there's a before and an after in this process. And then you probably were talking about this image of a weaned child. That's also a before and after process in weaning. It involves giving up something that used to mean everything and replacing it with something different. So a small baby knows only milk. She needs it little and often she makes her needs known noisily, regularly. Small babies are restless and demanding. A weaned child, slightly older child, well, is still going to be restless and demanding, but they found a different solution to hunger, at least, usually. Uh, a weaned child doesn't need to yell for milk in a sort of unpredictable way. Instead, she's learned that solid food on the end of a spoon makes her feel full up and satisfied, and that mummy or daddy is pretty good at spooning it in. There's a sort of patience that comes when you know that the next meal is coming and you're going to get the food spooned in, or maybe in some instances shovel it in by yourself. But do you see, the, do you see what he's saying? There's a, a before and an after restless, noisy, demanding baby screaming for milk or more patient small child that knows how the food thing works and can wait until it arrives on the spoon. So what did David have to give up to wean himself off in order to still and quieten his soul? Well, we're going to look at verse 1. And there's actually three parts to it. So we're going to take each part separately. So first of all, the first little section, my heart is not proud. What does it mean to have a proud heart? And what's that got to do with contentment? Well, the root of pride is setting ourselves up in God's place. God has created us to be dependent on him, to live in relationship with him, to make sense of his world by living his way. But instead, we know, don't we, that we want to go our own way. We want to be at the center of things. I want to be at the center of things. I want the glory. And David is saying, that's how I used to be. I used to have a proud heart. It's quite subtle. We express it in ways which seem acceptable. I just want people to like me. I just want people to understand me. I just want a little bit of respect and appreciation. I just want to feel good about myself. I just want things to go my way for a change. These things seem reasonable. The enemy whispers to us that it's our right to expect them, but actually they lead to anxiety, irritation, disappointment, emptiness. 
Our default setting is to put ourselves and the knee, our needs at the centre of the world, our world. And we try to grasp the things that will make us happy. But actually, we never feel satisfied that way. Um, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes um, in the Old Testament describes our state, our endless pursuit of what we think we need, what will make us happy, as utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You can look up, he uses those phrases several times in the book of Ecclesiastes. I've put the references in the handout. I need to ask myself, am I lacking contentment because my heart is proud, because I'm putting myself in God's place and chasing after things that will never actually satisfy me? I may be chasing after good things, things which God will graciously give me, but in themselves and by my own effort, they won't bring me the contentment that I'm looking for. So he goes on to say, my eyes are not haughty. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? What does it mean? Um, I was helped to understand this. There's a really helpful article by a Christian writer called David Powlison on this psalm. And he puts it like this. He says, if pride says, I'm right because I'm the center of the universe, haughty eyes say, I'm right compared to you. So haughty eyes come from a proud heart. It's about how pride actually can spoil our relationships. When we're trying to find our value, our contentment in and of ourselves, we look to other people to help us. We need others to help us to feel better about ourselves. We're constantly comparing ourselves, aren't we? Placing ourselves on some kind of ladder. We envy those who are higher up the ladder and who seem to be doing better than us. We look down and sometimes we enjoy looking down on those who seem to be doing worse than us. And when someone falls from a lofty place above us, do we not actually sometimes feel vindicated and somehow better about ourselves? It's quite a hard-hitting quote on the handout for you to read later, which expands on this idea of how pride can warp and twist our relationships. Really hard-hitting stuff. Here's some other questions to help us to see what's going on in our hearts. Am I trying to find contentment from comparing myself to others, from trying to climb up that ladder a little bit higher and feel better about myself? Is my pride, my desire to be in charge and get the glory for myself, is that making me noisy and restless inside rather than still and quiet? And then what about the third part of verse 1? I do not concern myself with great matters, things too wonderful for me. David is saying, I used to spend my time trying to fix things that were beyond me, trying to do things only God could do. We do this all the time, don't we? It's about me putting myself in God's place again. I want to be in control. I want to control other people, and I want to control the world around me. But I'm not God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, he's present everywhere, he's limitless, he's eternal, and I'm none of those things. I can't control even the tiniest details of my life, that's obvious to me most of the time, let alone the bigger things. I can't control other people or make them do what I want, but I do try. I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do try. And in the process of trying to control the uncontrollable, I become manipulative, trying to make people do what I want. 
I become demanding, desperate for people to meet my needs. I become irritated and even angry with people I love when they don't do what I want. I become anxious when I feel the unpredictability of other people and the world around me. I become fearful when I feel my powerlessness. If I can't control things, then what? These things, they feel familiar to me. Maybe they feel familiar to you too. So David has taken us through a process which he likens to weaning, but actually it feels a bit like open heart surgery. I don't know how you feel at this point, but it's, it's quite a lot to think about, isn't it? And I think it's actually what he's saying is very insightful about the human heart. He's looked at his own heart and he's found it to be noisy and restless. And somehow he's become still and quiet. And remember, David found that stillness, that quiet, that contentment in the midst of his own great trials and struggles. If you know about the life of David, you know that he had enemies that were trying to kill him. His own sin brought great suffering into his life. He often cried out to God from that place of desperation. He had a list of if-onlys as long as his arm. And yet, he was able to experience peace and contentment that we see here in this Psalm 131. And we want to say, how? How do I still and quieten my soul so that I become like a weaned child with its mother rather than a noisy baby? How can I silence the if-onlys and be content? Well, I'm sorry that there's a bit of bad news here. I'm afraid it's not a quick fix. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, which we'll look at in our next session in March, Paul tells us that he has learned to be content, whatever his circumstances. So it's a learning process. It might be a lifetime learning that. But for now, there's a first step, which David gives us at the end of Psalm 131. When we ask how he moved from noisy baby to still and quiet child, this is his answer. O Israel, that's us. O my people, O women of St. Paul's, O dearly beloved women here today, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Put your hope in the Lord. I need to stop and think, where am I putting my hope today? When we track down and listen to our if-onlys, we may be discovering where actually we're putting our hope. What do I think will make life feel better today? What do I think will make me feel content? Our if-onlys tell us the true answer to that question. And if my answer involves some change of circumstances, something to do with other people, improved relationships, then I'm putting my hope in the wrong place. Like David, we might be facing great struggles and suffering that are not of our own making. I know that there are many of us here today for whom that is true. God isn't asking us to dismiss or ignore that suffering. He wants to hear about it. He cares about it desperately. The question is, what am I doing with those struggles? Where am I turning? Am I turning to God, the one who sees, who cares, who is with me in my struggles, the one who will never let go of me, the one whose steadfast love David was talking about in Psalm 13? Am I turning to him 
Or am I turning inwards on myself, trying to fix my own problems my own way? We've looked at some of the ways that we do this, how easily we fall into pride, putting myself and my needs at the centre of my world, how quickly pride spoils and warps our relationships and causes us to make unreasonable demands of other people, and how often we try to control the uncontrollable. We put ourselves and the things that we want in God's place in our hearts. We do do that. We turn away from the one who made us to depend on him, and instead we strike out on our own. And our lack of contentment, it's a warning light, flashing to show us that we're going in the wrong direction, waking us up to the reality of our situation. Could it be that we're not content because we're looking for contentment, we're putting our hope in the wrong place? Listen to what David says. O Israel, O my people, O precious child that I've called by name, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. I've said it, it's going like, to take a lifetime for me and you to learn contentment in the Lord in all its fullness. But for today, here's the first step. If you're aware that you are putting your hope somewhere else, that in some area of your life, you are on a path away from the Lord. Maybe you hadn't realized it, you weren't doing it intentionally, but maybe you're beginning to think, maybe that's true about me. He's simply calling us to turn around, to bring that, if only, back to him. Cry out to him in it, like David did in Psalm 13. Ask him to forgive you for putting your hope somewhere else. Ask him to teach you how to be content in him, to put your hope in him rather than something or someone else. That's a prayer that he longs to answer. So the first step is simply to turn around. Jesus told the story of a young man who turned around. Um, you probably know it. It's in Luke chapter 15. Let's turn to it on page 1049. So this is the story Jesus told of a young man who had struck out on his own. He'd left his father's home. He'd gone off to find his happiness elsewhere. But he soon found, didn't he, that life in that distant country was not all he had hoped. In fact, when life got hard and famine hit, he was starving and desperate. He was living in a pigsty. He was completely on his own. And at last he came to his senses. He knew he didn't deserve anything from his father after the way he'd treated him. But he knew that life in his father's home had to be better than life in the pigsty. So he turned around and went home. Let's look at what Jesus says, how he describes what happens next in verse 20. Can you see verse 20? He got up and went to his father. But while he was still in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son declared, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us feast and celebrate. For this son of mine 
was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. While he was still in the distance, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. When we follow David's advice and put our hope in the Lord, this is who we're putting our hope in. A compassionate, loving father who runs to meet us. We may have had all sorts of experiences of fathers in our lives, but this is the father. This is the father, the Lord, that we're putting our hope in. This father doesn't wait for us to make the right speech, to clean up our act, to earn his favor, to be good enough, to take off our dirty clothes and put clean ones on. He's running towards us as soon as we turn back to him. In fact, he's been there all the time. He's been peering into the distance, longing to see us coming over the horizon, longing for us to return. And look at the way he lavishes his love on his son, dressing him in the best robe, serving up the best food at the banquet. You can hear the emotion in my voice because it's such a beautiful picture. Like the sun, we're hard-hearted, rebellious, undeserving, quick to go our own way. But our Father God gives us the opposite of what we deserve. Extravagant, generous, full-hearted love, bought with the precious life of his son, Jesus. Putting our hope in him is simply going home. It's bringing ourselves, our lives, our sorrows, our struggles, back to him. It's saying yes, please, to his offer of unconditional love and acceptance to life with him. It's learning that true contentment is found not in the temporary happiness of this life that will slip through our fingers and will come to an end, but in the never-ending joy of living in relationship with the one who made us, who loves us, who will never turn away from us. We're going to finish in a minute. I'm going to finish speaking at least. But let's just go back to that question that I asked at the beginning of the morning. What if God is using your if-onlys, the things that you just long were different, to make you more content in him, not less? What if he's calling you to bring that thing to him, to put your hope in him, to find him in the midst of it? In a moment, I'll pray for us, and then what we'll do is we'll split into small groups, maybe twos or threes, um, and there are some questions for us to look at on the back of the handout. Now, these are partly for you to take home and think through on your own, but there's just a little time for us now to look at them, if we'd like to, together. Um, I know these are really personal things, but actually, we're here for each other in this room. God has put us, God has put us in a family to build each other up, to help each other grow in our love for Jesus. We need each other. We cannot do it on our own. So if you feel that you can, it would be a great blessing to others to share what you're thinking about, what struck you, maybe some of the if-onlys that you've been thinking about, and to talk together about what it means to put your hope in God in those struggles. Um, and maybe to pray together. So we'll have a, a, a pause now after I've prayed. There'll be some music in the background. 
We've got plenty of time. So make this time useful for you. And, and also, if you can, make it useful to others by sharing and making yourself vulnerable if you can, because that's a great blessing to others. As we start to open up with our struggles, others can do that too. And we need to be able to open up with each other about our struggles so that we can love each other better. Okay. So let me pray, and then we'll have some time thinking about those questions. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have showed yourself to us as our loving Father who runs to meet us when we turn back to you. Father, you know our hearts so much better than we know ourselves. You know our if-onlys, but we need to see them for ourselves. We need to see where we're not putting our hope in you, where we're living our lives uh, independently of you, where we're looking for our hope in the wrong places. So please show us, please give us insight, please help us to see what's going on in our hearts and please show us yourself. Show us what you are doing for us in those struggles and how you are calling us back to yourself, to a deeper trust and relationship with you. Those of us that are struggling, Lord, please would you bring your love and your closeness to us now. Please would you help us to lean on you, to cling to you more tightly and to know you upholding us in our struggles. And please help us to love each other better, to be able to share our struggles and to care for each other in those struggles. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So those are the questions um, on the back of the handout where it says questions to ponder. Those are just some things to get you thinking. You don't have to stick to those. Just talk about what's helpful. Trade my trade.